Mark chapter 2 is where we are going to be this morning. I don't know about you, but um, I was raised a certain way in a little town in Hamilton, Alabama. Uh, I was raised that when you went to someone's house, you visited with them, um, that you did the little things to show appreciation, you know, um, such as, you know, you don't leave your dirty dishes and so forth out. You take them into the kitchen and into the sink. And, you know, if you stay over someone's house, then you make the bed the next morning. If you're extended stay, if you are leaving that day, then you strip the bed of its sheets and this kind of thing. Anybody raised that way? Uh, yeah, a lot of us were. And, and uh, some of you could, you could give even, even more things other than that. But here in our text this morning, we learn about this really rude group of people. And, and they take it to a whole nother level. Jesus is returning home after having this, this wonderful preaching tour. And, and we, we've been watching this as we've gone through chapter 1. By the way, we've made it to chapter 2. And so as we've gone through chapter 1, I mean, we've just seen this. And we see Jesus has been preaching and he's been with these crowds and and, and he's been healing, and, and he got to a point, he can't even stay into the towns. Don't you know, don't you know, he was really excited to get home. And it's really interesting in the text, you're going to see this. He, when he comes to Capernaum, he says he, he came home. He came home. This was home for him. And so, you know, I can just imagine him just wanting to relax. You know, I do seminars at times, and after I've been gone... For a weekend, you know, I'm just, I'm I can't wait to get home. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy being there, but, you know, you be around a lot of people and a lot of people asking questions and you're studying and you're delivering all of these different lessons. And, you know, you just can't wait to get home and just hopefully kind of relax a little bit. And so Jesus comes home and, and this, this is what he walks into, okay? And by the way, Jesus' schedule whole lot worse than mine. So beginning in verse 2, I mean chapter 2, verse 1, and when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. There it is. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. Now this is what he arrives to, okay? And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Hmm. If it wasn't bad enough that Jesus would have been come home and he's crammed into this house, you can just imagine everybody just kind of, you know, uh, shoulder to shoulder. They're just crammed into this. If that wasn't bad enough, you have these four guys who start tearing up the roof. And, and we talked about in class what that would have made of. It's made of, you know, this, this thatch and and mud and so forth. So you can imagine as they're digging through this, all you know, all of a sudden you're seeing this dust fly and little particles fly. And where are they going to go? I mean, they're all packed in there, right? You, you know, you can imagine, you know, bigger stuff started following. 
And, and it's like, you know what? This is rude, okay? This is, okay, this goes beyond leaving a water ring uh, on, on an end table when you go visit somebody, <laughs> all right? This is worse than dragging dirt into the house of someone that you go over to their home, okay? This, they're, they're tearing up his roof. And I don't know about you, but I would, have, I would have been like, you know what? This thing's over. We're shutting this whole thing down. You people have not even given me my space. And then on top of that, y'all are just tearing up the place. I want everybody out. And by the way, somebody's paying for that roof. Anything else is broken in this house. Because I'm telling you, listen, if there's, if there's one time that I would have thought Jesus would have have made a whip and turned over tables and been upset, this would have been it, right? But here's what I find out many times over as I read the Gospels. I'm so glad Jesus is not like me. Because here's what, by the way, y'all didn't have to say amen that loud. But <laughs> I, just, I just realized how, how, how boisterous y'all were on that. So anyway, here he is, and, and it just seems like Jesus, Jesus seemed to enjoy it. Look at verse 5. It says, and, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's, a, there's something different about these four men than the crowds. And we talk about this in class. We see crowds. It's mentioned like 40 times before we even get to chapter 10. And they're always looked at as doubting, unbelief, obstacles. They're constantly like just, they're seen as being in the way of people who are trying to get to Jesus. And, and what I learned from the gospel of Mark is a very important point, which is being part of the crowd isn't the same as being a disciple of Jesus. Okay, let that sink in for a second. Being a part of the crowd is not the same as being a disciple, a follower, a learner of Jesus. And we, we've got lots of folks in here this morning. But the question is, why are you here? Are you here as part of the crowd or are you here as a follower of Jesus? And you may be saying, well, I don't get it. What's the difference? I'm here because I want to be here because I've come to worship God. But there's a big difference. Because crowds come and they stand and they observe. Whereas disciples commit themselves to an action. That's a difference. So why are you here? Are you here to hear God's word? Or are you here to submit to that word and draw closer to God? Because those are two totally different things. And these people, they're packed out. But we see that the crowds. So Jesus basically says, listen, the actions of these four men, we find faith. That's the first time we find the word faith. And it's described as an action, not as a belief. In fact, the word faith, if you look it up, it means to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. Okay, that's, that's different than saying, well, I believe that, that Jesus is God. That's wonderful. 
but it's to a point that you, you trust him. You have this complete trust and you have a complete reliance upon God. So this is the first century, first time that Mark mentions this, and it's the four men that we see here who believe. They have this kind of belief. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what they believed. He does tell us what they do. And, and I find it also interesting as to, you know, the fact that Jesus responds based on what he believed or, or based on their, their faith. Folks, this is, this is also, and, and what, okay, let me say this too. It's the four men that it refers to their faith. He does not mention the faith of the paralytic. You notice that? Folks, I think there's something here to talk about the community of faith and why a community of faith is so very important. It's like, why can I not just go down to the beach and do my worship and read scriptures and pray and this kind of thing? Why can't I just do that? Why is it important that we are a part of a community of people? Besides, people drive me crazy, right? People drive me crazy. And, and so why am I a part of a community of faith? Because sometimes we're human, and, and our faith just isn't motivated the way it should be. And sometimes I have people in my life that inspire me to the kind of faith that I need and help to get me to Jesus when I desperately need him in my life and maybe not even know how I'm going to do that. And so it, it's, it's a part of this being human. And what I learn is that I need faith. Scriptures teach us over and over again. Hebrew writers and, and the Hebrew writer quotes from, from a, 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 an Old Testament passage. It says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. You see that? So it's not I think with faith. He says I live by this faith. And sometime tonight you can go home and you can read Hebrews chapter 11. And you have this just one narrative right after the next of this what we many times call this hall of faith. And we see it's the same thread. This is not new that Jesus is talking about here. This has been the thread all throughout Scripture. It started with Adam. Listen, trust God. Rely on him. Isn't that what we see in the very beginning? Don't we see this with Moses? Don't we see this with all those who came after? And Jesus, we see it's the same thing. And these four men have this kind of faith of trust and reliance. And we're supposed to have this kind of faith. And, and the problem is, at the time that Jesus is, is talking about all of this, the, uh, for, for many of, for, for Judaism, it had come to a system that was different than the system that God had set up. And the system had been based on this self-works and self-glorification uh, and self-salvation. And that system of works never that's never what God asked about. Never what God looked for. We may think, oh, that's, that's what they did back then. No, 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 read it. It's always been faith. Because listen, if, if you, you can do all kinds of things, and you can do it in the name of God, but if you don't do it out of complete trust and reliance upon God, I'm here to tell you, it's of no value. 
And that's, that is why Abraham is so important in Scripture and why it's continued to be used by the New Testament writers because of faith, this trust, this reliance. But this kind of faith, as we said, it's supposed to move us to action. So again, we ask the question, why are you here? Are you here to hear a message of God's word or are you here to put that, that message that God gives us here, we find out here in this, is it something that I'm, I'm ready to put it to action? Do I trust God? Do I just rely on, on Christ? Because if you say, well, yeah, of course, then, then you'll know it by your actions. You'll know it by your actions. And here, these four men define what, saving faith is about. What is it? It's about removing any obstacles that you have to remove in order to get yourself or someone else to Jesus. You want to know what discipleship is? That's what it is. That's what it is for yourself. I'll remove whatever obstacles may be in my life so that I can get to Jesus. And it's also about people that we see and we're surrounded by and we say, you know what? I need to make sure they come before Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can. If I have to tear up a house, like Peyton's house, then that's what you do. But get to Jesus. All right. This is, this is, this is just the beginning, folks. Let's get to verses 6 and 7. Now, some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts. Okay, they didn't ask this. They're thinking it. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in their spirit that they were questioning within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? So here are these scribes. These are the Bible nerds. These are the teachers of the day. And, and they hear, they know what Jesus is saying. They, they realize that Jesus is assuming the role of God when he says to this man, you're forgiven. And isn't it interesting that this guy who is a, parale, uh, who, who is a paralytic, he cannot walk, that the first thing that Jesus says to him is, your sins are forgiven. It's it's like, uh, Jesus, that's great. Um, but I can't walk. This is, this is kind of why they opened up the, the roof. I just, I can't walk. Listen, that's fantastic. But Jesus, I, I just can't. It's like, why, why, are they, why are they doing this? And we talked about in class the mentality, uh, especially in that day and time. And we see it in our day and time. We just often don't we don't realize how often we do this too. And we see someone who's got a problem, someone who's got an illness, someone who is going through hard times, and we often say, well, there must be something that they've done. There must be some kind of sin in their life. And listen, we've got scripture that can show that sometimes that is the case. But the problem is we can't, we can't go around doing that to people either. Because there's other examples. In fact, there's this big book called Job. This show that, that, that you can't just go around telling people, listen, you, you've got these physical problems because you're a sinner. 
But I really think what's happening here in this text is that this guy, this guy had heard his whole life, you are a paralytic because you're a sinner. He's heard that his whole life. It's like I mentioned in class, when someone tells you something several times over, guess what? You begin to believe it. And I really believe he prayed about this often. And, and nothing is happening. And it's, you're just kind of wondering if you're him, what have I done? And I think this is God's way of saying, listen, God's not mad at you. God's not punishing you. He dealt with the very first, the, the deepest part of his need before he dealt with another part of his need. And that is this man needed to know it's okay. It's okay. Okay, keep going. Verses 10 and 11. Actually, we'll go 10 through 12. But what you may know, but that you may know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, well, let me, let me back up, let me back up. Let me go to verse 9 first. He says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately he picked up his bed, and he went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like that. And we, and, and we did this in class. And I asked the people in class, well, what's easier to do? Is it easier to go around and tell people they're forgiven, or is it easier to heal someone who, who, is, who is paralyzed in their legs and they cannot walk? Which one's easier? What do y'all think, teenagers? This is a trick question, right? What do you think? What's easier, tell someone they're forgiven or to heal them that they can't, someone who can't walk? Was that? Tell them they're, they're forgiven, that's the harder thing? Oh, that's the easier thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did say easier. Very good, very good. And yes, Chelsea, I'm back, and, and Chelsea got that one right. I'm so proud of you. Um, but it was not a Michael Jackson question, but anyway. It takes me a while, Chelsea, to get over that one. So, yeah, look, I can go around this room and I can say, you're forgiven and you're forgiven and you're forgiven, you know, kind of like Oprah Winfrey, you know. You get a prize and you get a prize and you get a prize. And, but it's like, well how, well, how do you know? So Jesus is going to prove that he has the ability to tell someone that they're forgiven and they are forgiven by doing something that uh, the average human cannot do, which is take someone who is paralyzed and, and tell them just get up and walk, and they do. And, he, and he's showing that when I say, you're forgiven, that this is going to happen. And we're going to see all of this and, and how it happens. Now, Jesus is doing all of this to prove something, to prove that he has this authority. Authority. All right. This word, for some people, is like, Ugh. I don't like authority. And, and, and a lot of times... Our feelings about authority is based on, um, you know, 
past events. Okay? almost hate to, to tell this in front of Liddell. So when I was in middle school, uh, we, uh, me and some of my friends, we, we were staying, and I was a spend-the-night party, and, and we found out one of the guys in our group, his father had been fired. So we did what any good middle school student would do in a small town. We decided we're going out and rolling that guy's yard. Now, y'all may call it, or y'all call it toilet papering? You throw toilet paper into trees? TPing, TPing. We call it rolling. Rolling yards. We're out there, and we're rolling yards, and we evidently got caught, and they called the police on us, and the police show up. We are put in the back of cop cars. All right? Both, both, both cop cars in my little town were there, right? And we're sitting in the back seat, man. We, I'm telling you, I was scared to death. And I was just sitting there thinking the whole time, I'm going, I'm going to Juvie Hall. I know I am. I'm going to Juvie Hall. I've always heard about this. And, well, I didn't, but they, they, made us, they made us pick everything up. But I'll tell you, anytime I saw a police officer, I was scared. He scared me that night. I mean, he, he, he let us know, you know, uh, you know, what the deal was. And, and it scared somebody like me. Now, now imagine someone who they were, they were raised... And, and they, they were raised in an environment where they've been pulled over several times by law enforcement just because of the color of their skin. Nothing they had done. How do you think that person views authority? Or someone who comes from a home where the parent is abusive. Whether it's, it's physically abusive or whether it is verbally abusive, but they're abusive. How do you think they look at authority? Or someone, and you know, you, you've had one of those bosses, or you had that teacher, and yes, you know that they're authority, but they love to, you know, kind of throw around their weight on that kind of thing. And it's just like, you know, when I hear authority, I just kind of cringe when, when I think about this. So we have to pull back all of these ideas that we have about authority and this word, because it's used a lot, and we need to understand what it means. And we, we need to ask ourselves, what is this authority of Jesus? What kind of authority does Jesus have? What does he do with this authority? What kind of people were threatened by his authority? And what kind of people benefited from it? And this text is going to show us all these things. That's the beauty. Now, I mentioned in class there's something way bigger happening in this text. And, and unless you've studied Daniel chapter 7, you're just not going to see it. But when you, when you see it in light of Daniel 7, listen, you just, oh, oh, wow. You notice what Jesus calls him. He said, listen, I'm going to do this so that you know something. What is, it, what is it you want me to know? I want you to know that I'm the son of man, the son of man who has authority. Now, some of you are going, oh, okay, don't get it. That's why you have to look at Daniel 7. Because this is one of those epic moments in their, in their uh, movies, if you will. Remember us talking about that the first, the first week? And we said, you know, we, we spat out these different phrases. And, and you could remember them because these were epic moments in these various, various things. So I'm, I'm going to do that this morning to kind of demonstrate to you what I'm talking about. I am a Star Wars nerd, geek, whatever you want to call it. I am unashamed. And I know some of you are that way. Some of you may be hiding this morning. 
Uh, but listen, there are some epic moments, and I'm fixing to show you one of those epic moments. And I want you to get this idea that, that when they heard Son of Man, it was, it was like this. This is, this is, this is how we pick, we pick up these things, okay? And so, um, listen, okay, first of all, it's, it's in the late 70s, the acting was wonderful. Um, now it's not, not so wonderful, but it's still epic, okay? This is an epic moment. All right, you ready? Okay. Don't make me destroy you. Look, you do not yet realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me, and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. Epic, folks. So epic. You know, we all, this nemesis, the whole day, he, he, he's his father. And he, listen, we can rule as father and son. And, and just, I mean, oh, wow. Ah, that's good stuff. Listen, how many of you have never watched Star Wars before in your life? Oh, wow, I'm sorry. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, I am your father, and knew that was a Star Wars thing, and that have never, that have never watched Star Wars. Okay, there, there's several of you. When a, when a Star Wars nerd, um, and even one that's not a nerd, and they hear the phrase, I am your father, even if it's another movie, and, and this is in, and there's like this person, and and they're, they're telling this person that, uh, that they had given away an adoption, and they're telling them for the first time, listen, I'm your father. And it could be a whole nother movie, but us Star Wars people are like, oh, yeah, you remember that in Star Wars? Because that was an epic moment. So when you heard, I am your father, we, we got it. You know, we don't have to see the video. We don't have to see Darth Vader. We can just hear that phrase. And we got it. Listen, for those scribes and those people who were listening to, to what Jesus was saying and knew, and I'm talking about knew the story, when they heard him say, I want you to know that I am the son of man, they'd have been like, oh, wow. That's epic. That's, that's just really epic stuff. You want to see a little bit of it? Go to Daniel 7. 
Go to Daniel 7. I'm going to give you a condensed version of what I did in class. This is, this is just so powerful. Isaiah, Jeremiah, who wrote Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, who are true to their God. So the southern kingdom of Israel, they have been carted off into Babylonian exile. Daniel and his friends, they have been taken to the capital city, and, and there they are to serve in its, in its government and Daniel has these series of dreams. And we talked about these in class. Man, they are bizarre. And, and for us, it scares us to death. But, but this was very common stuff for them. And this is, this is, listen, this is why when you go to Revelation, if you understand this stuff over here, you understand it's speaking a message. This is not some kind of craziness that, that people start trying to make into all of this stuff. This, all, all of this stuff is kind of like here. And so there's these beasts and these, these wild-looking mutant beasts, and they represent these various governments, and they have oppressed humanity. They've been trampling on humans. And, and he goes on, and he, and he, uh, and, and he speaks about, um, about this, this time of justice. And so in verse 9, he talks about these thrones, and we see it's plural. There's more than one. And we know there's two, but there's more than one. And, and suddenly, the Ancient of Days, who is Yahweh, God, he comes and he sits on one of those thrones. And the other one is, is empty. The other one is in, empty. And, and, and the books are open, and there's this courtroom scene, and they judge these nations. And the, the worst of the beasts is killed, and the other ones are taken, uh, taken captive and everything else. And then suddenly we find this vision in verse 13. Listen. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay? So in the midst of these, these, these kingdoms and, and what they've done and trampling humanity, there is going to be one, and he's the son of man is what he's called. And he's going to rise up. And, and the ancient of days, he's a rider on the clouds. Folks, you read, read your Hebrew Bible, and you know what it says? Guess who rides on clouds? It's Yahweh. He's the son of man, but he's also God. And, and he comes, we see, at this moment, and he sits on this other throne. He rises up. He sits on the second throne, and he's given dominion, he's given power, he's given a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. It will not be destroyed. What has Jesus been saying? He, he said, listen, the kingdom is near. The Son of Man is here. Dominion, authority, power, it's all right here. You, you got you to see this, this epic moment as, as to what's happening here. And so... Um, so Jesus is the son of God. He is the one who can heal the sick and he can say to that paralytic, 
your sins are forgiven because he is the rider on the clouds. And you're going to see that these folks, these, these learned folks who knew about all this Daniel kind of stuff, the, the, the Daniel nerds, okay, we'll call them the Daniel nerds, they would have totally picked this up. And you wait, you wait. I dealt with this in Bible class because it's just so epic. You wait till we get, get on later on. And you, he's going to do this again. And it's going to be, oh, and you, they're going to be like, oh, I know you didn't. And it's just like, it's, it's this whole, you know, I am your father. Oh, What? And, and they kind of react the way Luke does, which is, no! So, oh, it's so big. Oh, that's the one who's here. That's the one who's come. He's the son of man. He sits on the other throne that they have been awaiting for. He's the one who brings the kingdom. He has the power. And he brings the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, it's, man, it's so fantastic. All right. So it's like, okay, what's this authority of Jesus? Now we can look at these questions again. Well, what kind of authority does Jesus have? When we look at this text, we see he has the authority to deal with the deepest brokenness of our sins, of our failures, and our flaws as humans. Well, how did he use this authority? He used it to heal and to forgive. Well, what kind of people would be threatened by this authority? Those who wanted to hold on to their own religious traditions. Those who were not looking to encounter the living God. And they were wanting authority for themselves. They wanted to determine what is and what isn't. Well, who, what kind of people uh, were benefited from it? It's the people who have faith, who trust Jesus. They rely upon him. It is the conviction that there is something wrong in my life, there is something wrong in my friend's life or someone else's life, and there's nothing that I can do to save them. And, and I've got to do everything I can to get them to Jesus. That's the kind of faith. And those people are going to find Jesus' authority healing and transformative. How, how can we look the other way? How, how can we do it? And we ask ourselves that, and we got, we've got, a, we got four Gospels that tell us people are doing it all the time. We've got the book of Acts that tells us people were doing it all the time. Listen, don't stay on the edge of the crowds. Stop being spectators. Stop being people who are just amazed by things, but you never do anything with it. You know, how, how do you view what we do here? You know, I mean, are we so consumed with ourselves that we can't even see, we can't even see maybe the person who's, who's come in from our community and they're just seeking Jesus. Or maybe someone of our own people and they're struggling in their faith and, and rather than being a community of faith, we just, we just go about our own. Listen, stop. Listen, the son of man has come. 
Jesus has, has now been crucified. And guess where it says he sits? He's raised up in the clouds, and he sits at the right hand of God. You think there's any significance to that? You better believe there's significance to that. Jesus is on the throne. And that Jesus calls us. And what we do with that is up to us. Do you want to be like the crowds or do you want to be like these four men? If we can help you in any way, come as together we stand and as we sing.